Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tates Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. The passage I'll be preaching from this morning comes to us from Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Let's get our, give our attention to God's Word. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Open our eyes, O Lord, to see your truth, to see your gospel afresh, to see your conviction and to see your comfort. Open the eyes of our hearts that we might rightly learn and rightly change. We pray again this week, what we have prayed every week, that you would break through the barriers of this strange setup of me preaching to a camera and my friends watching a screen, that you would, you would transcend that by your Spirit and do what you have done every week uh, during this season and move in the hearts of your people. We trust you with that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to do this week is continue with a theme that I kind of unintentionally began several weeks ago. Um, it wasn't my plan. I just kind of fell into it. And it's looking at some of the more peculiar miracles of Jesus. Um, again, I just kind of fell into that by accident, but I think it's serving us well. Um, and I think the reason why some of those passages have been on my heart each week is that it's such an unusual time for all of us that it seems appropriate to contemplate the unusual acts of Jesus and learn from them. So today's story is another unconventional healing. And to understand his purpose, we do need a little contextual help because we're just jumping in. If you are familiar with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you know that they are not kind to the disciples. These followers, this inner circle of followers that he calls his disciples, um, they come across as, as doubtful, faithless, cowards, and all of these different attributes that aren't particularly flattering. And in this particular point of the story where we find ourselves, the disciples have been coming across as particularly frustrating. They just aren't getting it. They keep doubting. They keep failing. Well, 
Amid this litany of failures is this peculiar miracle. And Jesus uses it to explain what's going on with his disciples. And what's going on with his disciples is that they are on a journey, which is something we can all relate to, particularly right now. One of the reasons why I thought of this passage um, is because every one of us, as we slowly, frustratingly, perhaps impatiently tread through this pandemic, we are keenly aware of the dynamics of a journey. We're all on a journey. The entire world is on a journey right now. And um, we are all, you know, kids on a long road trip in the back of the car shouting, are we there yet? This is how we all feel right now. And I want to suggest that there is a lesson to be learned in that. And the lesson is that Christianity itself is a long, arduous, frustrating, difficult, impatient struggle of a journey that actually has many similarities to where we find ourselves right now. And this strange miracle of Jesus is His way of illustrating this journey. The journey that the disciples are on and the journey that we find ourselves on as followers of Jesus. And so what I want to do is two things. First, I just want to explain the Christian journey. And that won't take me much time. And then the bulk of my time, I want to apply the journey to us. I want us to learn from the journey. So explain the journey, apply the journey. Let's begin just by explaining it from the passage. The nuances of the Christian journey are found, again, in the unconventional nature of this miracle story. Jesus does a few things different here, and each of them is intended to emphasize the nature of the journey. Start with verse 22. They came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Now, this is the first difference we see. Typically, when Jesus heals, he does so intentionally, publicly before the crowd. But this one is different. He takes him not just aside, which he does do sometimes. He takes him by the hand and he walks him out of town. Now, why is that? Well, the village of Bethsaida was a village marked by hard-heartedness and unbelief, utterly blind to the truth of Jesus, even after he, even after he performed mighty miracles in their midst. In fact, he said, Woe to you, Bethsaida, for you've seen these miracles and yet you still don't believe. And so this is where he encounters this blind man. And before healing him, he takes him by the hand and he leads him out of Bethsaida, the place of blind unbelief. Do you see that imagery? How does the journey begin? Jesus steps into our world of blindness, takes us by the hand, and leads us out. Every Christian journey is a Jesus-initiated journey. Sure, the beginning of your journey feels like you found Jesus. But when you find Him, strangely, one of the first realizations of the journey is that He actually found you. And every Christian would tell you that this is so. So Jesus takes this man by the hand, leads him out of town, out of the place of blind unbelief. Continue on. 
And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him. Now, what is that about? Well, it's meant to communicate the intimacy, the tenderness, the nearness of Jesus. Of course, he has the ability to heal apart from touch. His words do have that power, and elsewhere he does do that. But here, he chooses to touch. And not just touch, he chooses to spit. Now, this is disgusting in our culture, especially right now. Dr. Fauci would not approve. But to this culture, it was a deeply intimate healing ritual. And here's the point. Jesus does not lead the journey from afar. He is intimately involved. Yes, it is a journey, but it's a journey with Jesus every step of the way. He does not initiate the journey and then leave you alone with distant words to fend for yourself, hoping that you'll get there. Instead, He is with you, intimately near every step of the way. Now look at what happens next, because things get really interesting here. He asks him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Now, what is that all about? The point is he sees, but not fully. He has sight, but his sight is not yet clear. This is the only time this happens in all of the gospel, a a partial miracle. And it's meant to give us a paradigm for our experience as Christians. Of course, Jesus didn't have to do it in intermittent steps. He's communicating something here. And what he's communicating is our experience as followers of Jesus. Was his sight restored? We would have to say yes and no. You can no longer call him blind but neither can you say that he sees. Instead, he is frustratingly in between. And this is the essence of the Christian journey. Regeneration, fancy word for being born again, is both final and unfinished. You have been made alive in Christ, and yet you await the fullness of your life in Christ Jesus. Your soul has been quickened to the realities of Jesus, His gospel, and His kingdom, and yet we await the full experience and benefits of these things. And in this way, it is theologically appropriate to speak of our salvation in past, present, and future tenses. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we shall be saved. In other words, it's a journey. And the journey from beginning to end is controlled by the Lord Jesus. Continue on with verse 25. Then Jesus, then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus touches him again. And he sees everything clearly, which is intended to communicate finality, the consummation of Christ's healing journey. So the Christian journey is marked by two touches from Jesus. The initial 
touch of His Holy Spirit that awakens us and the final touch that completes us. And it's that final touch, the touch from Jesus Himself, described as wiping every tear from every eye. It's that touch that we are longing for along this journey. You know, it's popular to say these days things like, what's important is the journey, not the destination. That is utter nonsense. It's the destination that makes the journey worth it. If there is no end to this, then this is not worth it. It's too hard following Jesus unless in the end you get the finality of Jesus. And Jesus is promising an end in our passage. What this man saw in part, he now sees clearly. And so will it be for us. We walk by faith, not by sight, until we obtain the blessed reward of faith becoming sight. What we have experienced in part, we shall know in full. What we have only tasted, we shall feast upon. What we have glimpsed, we, have, we shall behold. And for this reason, and this reason alone, we embrace the journey. The journey is only worth it if we are promised the fullness of the destination that is ours. So in this small four-verse miracle of Jesus, we are, giving, we are given a paradigm of the Christian journey that every follower of Jesus is on. But what I'm really um, interested in this morning and want to focus on is application. What does the fact that Christianity is a journey mean for us? What can we learn from the fact that this is a journey? We've explained the journey. Let's apply the journey now. Here are four brief applications for us. Since Christianity is a journey, we should be a people marked by four things. Humility, patience, dependence, and assurance. Let's consider each of those. First, we should be a people of humility. How does the journey produce humility? Well, since it is a journey, then you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you have not yet arrived. I don't know what you see, but what you see is incomplete at best or just flat out wrong. At worst. Look at verse 24 again. I see people but they look like trees walking. Do you know what a lot of Christians would be tempted to do at this point? Dogmatically declare that people are walking trees. We might even form a new denomination. The people are walking trees denomination. Not the PCA, but the P-A-W-T denomination. The people are walking trees denomination, and we're right, and everybody else who disagrees with us is just plain wrong because we can see it. People are walking trees. So many Christians deny the journey by canonizing where they happen to be in the journey. But the point the text is making is that you don't see clearly. 
Something you believe right now is at best incomplete or at worst dead wrong. So we hold our convictions, we hold our perspectives with humility, open for correction, refinement, and even rebuke. Does that therefore lead to some loosey-goosey postmodern relativism where we don't have any convictions? No, it actually does the opposite. It reinforces firm orthodoxy because it detracts from me being the final arbiter of what is true based upon my individualistic perspective. Instead, I recognize that since it's a journey, I probably don't know it all. I probably don't see it all. So I best humbly stand upon the shoulders who have gone before me and lived this journey. I trust their sight more than my own sight. Who am I to redefine orthodoxy as though I have seen something that everybody else has missed? And not just when it comes to our orthodoxy, by the way, but also our orthopraxy, by meaning, meaning not just my theology and what I believe, but my actions, my character, and so forth. I am willing to humbly listen, submit to others, trusting that I don't see things clearly. And they very well may see me better than I see me. So my first application is this. If this is a journey, we walk with humility on this journey. Secondly, we are marked by patience. Now, when I say the journey leads to patience, we immediately interpret that as patience with others. And that's a good application. It really is. If it's true that this is a journey, then it calls us to die to our overambitious expectations for others and love people where they are. We dare not expect them to be in a place where God does not expect them to be. But I want to I consider a more personal application this day. How about you settle down and take it easy on yourself? How about you show yourself some patience? Have you ever considered that you are exactly where God wants you in your journey of healing and sanctification? Jesus doesn't get frustrated with a partial healing in our text. He doesn't shame or condemn this man for not seeing things clearly. He is very comfortable with a partial healing. I wonder if we would be. You know how I could imagine myself responding if I was this blind man in the text? What's wrong with me? I am so pathetic at being healed. Everybody else only needed one try. I'm so bad, he's got he's to go at it twice to fix me. Man, I'm terrible at being healed. Have you noticed the most impatient person you have to deal with is yourself. The most damaging statements that have ever been said to me come from me. Why are we so impatient with what God is comfortable with? Either we believe in the sovereignty of God or we don't. If, you, if we do, and I hope you do, then you are right now exactly where God wants you, to, wants you to be in this journey. 
If He wanted you perfected, you'd be dead. But right now, He's okay with you struggling within your imperfections, and He wants you okay with that struggle in this journey. Remember, this miracle is a lesson in response to the disciples' persistent failures. When we read the story of Peter, for example, he's the easy one to pick on, we are tempted to get really frustrated with him. But what we see in Jesus is a continual forbearance every step of the way. Totally comfortable with Peter. His growth, his lack of growth. His successes, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Peter. And his failures, I don't know that man, denies Jesus. He's comfortable with, 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 with where Peter is all along the way. Why? Because Christ views his following as a journey, and he's okay with that. And he wants you to be okay with that too. So if this is a journey, then it demands patience. Yes, with others, but also with ourselves. Thirdly, the journey is marked by dependence. This blind man obviously needed Jesus to go from blindness to seeing, but he needed Jesus just as much to go from partial seeing to fullness of sight. And this is meant to um, contradict the lie that many of us believe, if not in theory, certainly in practice. And it's this, I need Jesus to commence this journey and then, and then... I have to take it from there. Or to use theological terms, I need Jesus for my justification, but my sanctification is on me. We live our lives, our Christian lives, as if we should somehow be weaning ourselves off of Jesus. In fact, when we most feel our need for Him, we are disappointed, we condemn ourselves, we shame our need. But this is not the nature of the journey. You need Jesus just as much in this moment as in the moment you first believed. Even more so, it's okay to need Jesus in this moment just as much as it was okay for you to need Him initially. Would any of you ever shame someone for seeing their need for Jesus for the first time and embracing Him as their only hope of salvation. Would anyone ever shame that discovery of need? Of course not. You would celebrate that discovery. You would say, hallelujah, they see their need for Jesus. Well, why do you shame it now? in you and in others. Just because it's a journey doesn't mean we progress past our need for Jesus. Though we are growing, we never outgrow Jesus. In fact, the destination of the journey is full surrender to the Savior, embracing the fullness of our dependence. To embrace the journey is to embrace your need of Jesus. And that will never change. He needed him for that initial partial healing, and he needed him to get him all the way there. So, because this is a journey, we are people marked by humility, patience, dependence, and then finally, assurance. 
If salvation is a journey, then the inevitable question arises, how can I be sure that I will complete this journey? Well, if it's on you, then you cannot. In fact, you can be assured that you will not complete this journey. But if this journey is a journey of dependence rather than independence, then it's all not on you, but on Him. So then it comes down to this. Can Jesus complete this journey? Does Jesus have the strength, the commitment, the faithfulness? Does Jesus have what it takes to finish what He began? I dare you to say no and sound how silly you will sound. Let me ask you this. Was there ever any doubt in your mind that this man would get his sight? Was there any doubt that this man would be healed when Jesus touched him, even after the partial healing? Even after that, did doubts arise? Was there an inkling of a thought of, oh no, Jesus has finally met something that he can't fix. He's finally met a blindness that is more powerful than him. I guess he's not going to be able to pull this one off. Nobody thought that. Everybody knew where this was going. You know, Jesus, you knew this would end in fullness of sight. Even after a partial healing, no doubts arose. Why? Because when Jesus commits to someone, it's a done deal. Which means you, Christian, are a done deal. He didn't bring you this far only to bring you this far. That thought is anathema to the triune God. Why? Because the triune orchestrated journey of Jesus is the foundation of our journey with Jesus. Your journey is the culmination of His journey because He's on one too. Do you want to know on an ultimate level why your journey is secure? Because ultimately, it's not your journey. That's not to say your journey is not important. It most certainly is. But its importance is bound to the much greater journey of Jesus Himself. Behold again the journey of our God from Philippians. Though He was in the form of God... He did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient even unto the point of death, even death on a cross. You want to talk about a journey from heaven's crown to Calvary's cross. Why? When he set on, out on that humiliating, theologians call it the humiliation of Christ. When he set out on that humiliating journey, what was the goal? What was he after? You. You, beloved. He came for you. Every single one of our journeys are bound to His journey as the appointed end to His journey, which means He isn't done with His journey until He's done with you. Do you really think He's not going to finish His work in you? You really think He's going to let you go? 
You think He came from heaven and endured the cross to partially forgive, to partially heal, to partially save, to bring you this far, only to leave you this far? Never. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Humility, patience, dependence, and assurance. This is what the journey does to us. Now, I want to close with a little thought experiment. I want you to imagine your newly converted self. Many of you can't remember a day you weren't following Jesus, and that's beautiful. That's the way it ought to be. But let's all bring to mind um, that season of our life where, where following Jesus really became real to us, was, became a real commitment in our lives. Here's my question of application for you this morning. What would you say to yourself at the beginning of this crazy journey we call following Jesus? What would you say to yourself? Would it not be these applications that we are discussing? I know it would be for me. If I were to speak to Robert Cunningham, late 90s, early 2000s, Robert Cunningham, beginning my journey with Jesus, what would I say? I would have words of humility. I would say, Robert, you think you know it all, but you really don't. In fact, there are things you passionately believe right now that in 2020 you will not believe. So be humble, Robert. Be humble. I would speak words of patience. Robert, be gentle. Be gentle with yourself. Be gentle with others. You're growing. They're growing. You're failing. They're failing. But take it easy. Be patient. God is at work and He's comfortable with where you are, so you be comfortable with where you are. Be patient, Robert. Be patient. Words of dependence. Robert's not on you. As you begin this journey with Jesus, know from the outset it's not on you and it will never be on you. It's on Him. You will never outgrow Jesus. In fact, in 2020, though you will be more sanctified, you will see your need of Him even more than you do now at the beginning. So be dependent, Robert. Be dependent. And certainly I would speak words of assurance. Robert, He has you, and He's not going anywhere. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I know your doubts. I know your sins. I know your shame. I know your struggles. I know your insecurities. I know your fears. But I'm telling you, He isn't going anywhere. He will be with you in 2020, and He will be with you to the end. So be assured, Robert. Be assured. These are the things I would say to myself if I could go back 20 years. And I bet they are similar words that you would speak to yourself. Well, I have an idea for all of us today, novel idea that changes everything. If you would say that to yourself back then, then we should probably go ahead and say it to ourselves now. Why not say it now if we would say it then? You want to talk about perspective? Lord willing, most of us still have a long journey ahead 
I mean, uh, for many of you, the journey's just getting going. I recognize that's not true for a lot of you. For some of you, you're in the final chapter of the journey, at least here on earth. But for most people listening, um, there is much of the journey that awaits. And there will be a day, and I know this for a fact, because this is one of those times in our lives, is one of the cultural moments that we'll never forget. We will know exactly where we were. We will have our memories implanted in us when we talk about the COVID pandemic of 2020. So you are going to look back on yourself in this very moment. And you will look back on yourself and wish that you could say things to yourself now. But right now you can't say those things. You will wish that you could speak words of humility, words of patience, words of dependence, and certainly words of assurance. So what I am suggesting this day is let's go ahead and say now what we will wish we would have said then. Let's say it and let's actually believe it. Let me pray. Lord, we, we do ask that you would teach us the ways of the journey. Lord, that you would produce in us humility, patience, dependence, and assurance. We do confess that we grow impatient with the journey. We do confess that we get frustrated. We do confess that our journey is marked with doubts and failures and fears. But Lord, we do confess with all boldness in Christ that our journey is marked by assurance. Because our journey ultimately is your journey and you cannot fail. Send us forth into this journey with humility, patience, dependence, and assurance. We ask in Jesus who journeyed first. Amen.